0: Hello friends, welcome to the Eighth House of Astrology, ruler of occult, magic, mystery, and truth. Join me, Sarah, a developing psychic medium with a scientific mind, and my good friend Eliza, a tarotist and thanatologist, as we explore, through the lens of the Tarot, the healing hidden within the deepest, and sometimes the darkest corners of the human experience.
1: Most people know that my work has to do primarily with funeral reforms. So that takes its its place both before death, after death, and then in the um, in the natural burial sphere. So that's that's yeah. the work that I do. I was sort of perfectly set up as a writer and researcher, and um, yeah. you know, a person who had um, you know I started doing. I guess you'd call it doula work now. It's but at the time I was just caregiving. Uh, when I was nineteen, I had a couple of um, elderly uh, sister t- sisters who who uh, died on my watch while I was caring for them, and that's why I was there. It was because they wanted to die in the home rather than wow. in an institutional setting. So that happened early. That was sort of in between college um, semesters. And then when I had my uh, babies, as soon as, yeah, I think I was still nursing my, my daughter. I did uh, an early uh, hospice training for mm. bereavement. It was the first time they, you know, it's still quite new in 1985. It was still, <laughs> hospice was still kind of a new concept. And uh, so, so I really had all these years of sort of this side work plus the conservation work. I was interested in that. I, you know, took my right. first group right. with it makes sense. Problem. I was 14. So yeah, so when it all kind of, it suddenly hit this the convergence of all of these interests and it all made sense for the first time. And it was- Isn't so, that cool? What it came down to for me in the end was, first of all, I never tried to make a living at this. That's, a, that's different. And it's huge, yeah. And, and mo- a lot of people who are out here, you know, uh, recognizing this is not a way to make a living, um, but that this is a way to be a helper. This is a way to yeah. change the focus from um, from being from being the doer to being the witness. And yeah. if we can do that, if we can make that switch, and uh, and be genuine about the care that we want to to, to offer people, and we're going to have a genuine experience that um, that is really worth everything. Because part of what it's going to do when you start showing up as helpers, is the people that you're trying to help have to wake up and go. Oh, I didn't know I needed this. This is this is something I need in my life. So right. that's, that's part of our right. It isn't to go in and fix anybody. It's just to like lighten up the room. I did not realize how dark.
0: how social work was going to be so helpful. Like studying yeah. the that. other
1: piece to that too, and that and that's really yeah. where where I come in pretty heavily, and that's the education piece. Right. because You know, to just be there, but to not have any skills to offer isn't necessarily going to be helpful to the family either, especially if you're an end of life doula and you're charging money for it, they're going to want something for it. So a big part of this is, um, you know, it's all of that that you described, but it's also having, um, you know, uh, some arrows in your quiver when you, when you go the room. Um, And that's why uh, end of life doula training is so popular right now is that it gives people the tools to be there. It's not enough to just sit I've, I've, after all these years. Yeah. So, yeah. Year and all, it's not enough to just sit beside somebody. So the family can go out and do some grocery shopping. Um, it felt to me that, as that role
0: know, would be a hospice volunteer. Right. Very
1: much, yeah, but it's okay. also something that doulas do, oh, d- yeah, okay, uh, doulas are okay. there to, to serve the family as well and wh- whatever capacity they need. But, but, but I like
0: this, you're going into the education piece, yeah, yeah,
1: very much. Um, part of it, and of course, my, my biggest focus is on after death care, which is a whole other thing because once the person has died, you're into regulated, licensed territory of funeral directing, so you have to be very careful at that point. But that's where. After death care, and this is after death care. Educators um, need to be educating. They're the, what they they are is that they hold the history. They hold all of the information that we've forgotten over generations of of farming it out, you know, outsourcing to professionals. Um, mm-hmm. And so that doula before death, end of life doula has skills and about the dying process. And then we have after death care educators who, who can help with um, explaining to the family and teaching, educating the family about after death care, uh, body would care you say, and
0: processes that have to, would occur. you say that is, a, is important to um, start that education process well before the death occurs though?
1: If you have those skills, yes, it's a very different set of skills though. So it's, it is, and, and it's really important to make that line, that, that demarcation okay. between the before death care and the after death care, because you have to completely change hats at that really? point. Really? Yeah. Legally, I... it, it's kind of in a good way because, okay. because part of what doulas are equipped to do is, um, is to help the person who is dying envision what might happen after that might be part of giving them control is to is to talk to them about what their legacy work, of course, um, helping them put together their life story for future generations. So that's seeing past the death time um, and also funeral planning, but planning in terms not, not making arrangements which is yeah, getting, not making,
0: making them feel out. like okay, well we're just already going to go ahead. Ra- and- that's
1: right. Well, that's the funeral director's job. You and legally in some oh, okay. states you can't okay. even you Got know, it. so if you're charging money, you can't do that and do funeral planning. you illegal. Got it. Okay. So um so but what you can do as a doula is as um help that person consider what what those things might be that would comprise the, you know, uh, the arrangements would be comprised of. So you can, you can initiate those kinds of conversations, or you can engage in those conversations when they're brought up by the patient and certainly by the family. If the family were to say, well, we really don't want, you know, John to leave the house. Is that going to be okay? A doula who knows their stuff is going to say, yes, that is fine. Here's how it works. And so that's the education yeah. piece around it, but it doesn't mean they're doing it. It means that. Right. They're okay. Okay. It. So that's that's a big difference. Doulas can do because they're during the lifetime and they can do. And but then after you can't without a license, you can't do without a license. So um so the education on that side is is all voluntary and it's really important that we again really know our stuff really know the law really know the systems in our community and who's who and what they do and how they yeah. all work together we bring huge value to a family that wants to extend that that um, that whole care continuum from diagnosis to disposition so is it, it, it one of the things you have Options to recognize are so around, great you know, when you start talking about you know diversity and inclusion equity all mm-hmm. that it, 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 we're, you know, we're, we tend to be, of course, very, very, you know, our, our own centric, um, you know, experience around that. And for me, that is, you know, the, the very much the middle class white, you know, northeastern experience yeah. of death is the embalming and the and the all all of that ritual stuff and the concrete vaults and everything else in other places. Yeah, which for the
0: listeners, different. just to say that that all came about during the Civil War, when soldiers uh, died in the South and needed to be returned back to the North. Um, And in hot climates, their bodies had to be um, preserved in order to make the train travel or whatever it was at the the time, time, so.
1: Yeah, and that's where the funeral industry started because uh, Abraham Lincoln actually issued an order that you had to be licensed in order to uh, to do this to be able to do to embody on the battlefield and that's yeah. how the profession came about but prior to that this, this didn't happen and and it still doesn't need to happen there's there's nothing about it but we also have cultures now and and groups of of people whole whole networks um who who prize this as part of their cultural or religious heritage because it's been That long, it feels like a heritage now, and so we need to respect that. At the same time, Hmm. trying to point out that there are, you know, this that was then, and this is now, and we have different reasons for for um, you know putting this back under the microscope and thinking about it. And does it still meet your your religious or or um, um, you know cultural needs? What how can we balance it out while being respectful of people's choices? that's been the difficulty around, um,
0: now around- what is, the, uh, as far as my understanding, um, it's primarily, uh, Christians are the only religious group that aren't on board with what's just been natural and- that,
1: when, when you think about it. Yeah. I mean, you've got, you have different, uh, groups that, you know, like, um, uh hindu who uh,
0: were, are cremation cremation. yeah
1: well it's a purification ritual so yeah. again you can I don't see it as oh they're the cremators no they are the ones who 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 believe that purification occurs through mm-hmm. a, yeah a, yeah it goes back
0: a long right. time so yeah
1: very very different but when you look at the jewish tradition the muslim tradition uh, you know they, they, those have been uninterrupted full body burial first immediate um, immediate for a lot of different reasons again not just because oh bodies are dangerous throw them you know get get rid of them it it it's has to do with doctrinal issues right mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. having to do with um oh I just I, I don't even want to get into all the details about yeah that it's fine. Religion. but the but the big thing is um is that it really it does just leave it, it just leaves mostly the Christian community uh, although when we break that down the Catholic, um uh church is very much in favor of uh natural burial and wants to see that come back
0: um that's and great
1: it's, it's, yeah i, I so, so what do you think are what, cemeteries what, are catholic
0: now greens what cemeteries. is it um is it a denominational thing that i don't know much about christianity Again, it, it, like as Dr. far as
1: Yeah, it's it's doctrinal as well. Um, And I I wrote a big paper about this that that you can read on online. uh, And it had to do with the when the new Pope came in. And I'm not Catholic, but I I was I'm still fascinated by all of this, the world religion thing. So, uh, but mine was
0: a Catholic university where I studied thanatology. So that was really strange for me. There
1: you go. Yeah. Yeah. The, uh, but but uh, when he came in, he wrote an encyclical on nature. So I took a look at that and it became very clear when I put that together with the number of natural burial cemeteries that are being run by Catholic churches and Catholic dioceses, that there was a big connection here. That's and so cool. I explored that further and wrote this paper about it because um, it, it has to do with the resurrection. It has to do with oh, you know, the yeah. Catholic church never wanted uh, cremation they agreed to it very reluctantly in 1963 and this pope even as soon as he got an office reminded everyone that you have to bury cremated remains on consecrated land and the idea is right in cemeteries The whole idea being you know they that you know you get the bodies as close to a a, a sacred ground as you can right in mm-hmm. in the graveyards around churches and so on but it full and intact so that you know if the second coming of jesus they will be taken
0: up well that's a really i like that i I like to know that's why and why not they don't they're not down with this idea of a natural burial
1: so when you look at that then you know who's left and i think for the most part who's left who's still doing this are people who just haven't thought about it (laughs) so take it kind of seriously um all that energy that's flying around during that liminal time, right? And this, this is is the part that bothers me about the way that that Americans do death is that they are studiously avoiding experiencing liminal time. They don't like the feeling of being offshore. They want to know, they want to go, okay, this or that. now. (laughs) And then we're going to have you the funeral home is going to come and take them away. And on Tuesday, we're going to have a visitation from six to eight. And on you know Wednesday, we're going to have blah, blah, blah. And they they want to schedule out their grief. They want to schedule out when they're going to do everything, not having that kind of a structure around it and allowing what needs to happen, happen. Oh, you say in the moment after the person dies, though, their arm is in a funny position. We should change, we should move that. And you go and you touch and you feel and you move and you feel that person's life force ebbing away mm. in their arm as you move it. That's the death experience. And we're not allowing ourselves to have it. And yeah. so, you know, that's, a, that's why I push for this. I want people even for five more extra minutes to be in that space and to absorb that death and absorb what's happening in every by using every sense you have. It takes all your senses to understand it. You can't do it while someone's in a room across town. You can't smell them. You can't feel them. You can't you can't sense their essence there or not there. You have to be doing that in person. And that's when those connections get made. So that once that person has left, you have that you have that feeling of they're leaving. And and you may not know where that is going, but you know that it's it's transforming. It's not just ending; it's transforming. You can feel it. It's a physical, yeah. yeah. So yeah. it's not even that
0: you know I'm getting a woo. It's like this is just yeah. documented stuff. We know this is the way it works. That and it is so therapeutic. I guess I could say um, when yeah. it's when you're intentional about experiencing it and being present that. Mm-hmm. It is transforming. It's healing to the person that's left behind because yeah. you're there experiencing it as the person leaves. Right. And, and think about something the, different.
1: The, the, the connections, the, the webs that, that get strengthened between the people who are left then. Um, then mm-hmm. Virago said it at some point, and she couldn't remember saying it, but, but I, I told her, I knew it was her. Um, she said, she said that Something to the effect that um, the whole purpose of the funeral and really the, the home funeral, the time that we have together, not just mm-hmm. a funeral off in a church somewhere. But that, that, is, that time is when we we mend the tear in the fabric right. that, that is, that's created when that person leaves. So it's that time where we start to knit ourselves back together again with, with, with that void. And, um, you know, to take the place of that void or to heal that void. And I think that that's what we're not giving ourselves time to do anymore. And if we did, then those connections to our inner self, to each other and to the person who has died is, is just, um, that's where the healing occurs. That's where the mm-hmm. continuing bonds as it's, has its outlet. Yeah. But if we keep chopping it up and, and scheduling it and farming yeah. it out to other people, it's uh, like it.
0: It causes a rift. It separates that person from who they are continuing to be in a different form. Yeah,
1: absolutely. I would agree with that.
0: Yeah. So you're talking about funeral reform, but what about cemetery reform and how how do those pieces connect yeah it sort
1: of fits all, all fits together um you know i mean it's just sort of the only term i could come i guess it's after death care reform but that uh, you know i, I want to see every alienate people they because they're because like what is she talking about right exactly so funeral reform reform seems to get people to think um I, I, these are all different silos of yeah. experts in uh, that 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 feed the whole continuum And this has been part of the problem. Um, For instance, this is a a good example. Uh, Here in New England, at least, and in many states, um, the funeral directors are not allowed to own or operate cemeteries. So the people who own and operate our cemeteries are um, elected officials. All right. So we elect trustees to manage our local cemeteries. That's the way it works here. Doesn't work this way everywhere. But that's the way it works here. So what does that mean? That means that people are going to funeral directors and saying, I want a green burial. Why can't you make that happen for me? And they're saying We're, we we can't. And then people are going, well, how does, am I going to make it happen? And you have to explain to them that they're the ones who vote in the cemetery trustees, and they're the ones who need to go speak to them and tell them what they want the rules to be in the cemetery, because that's what they do. It's all local. What happens in cemeteries is wow. local. So Look at those silos who can't speak to each other and realize that we are the ones, we, the consumers are the ones have to change the way that this happens. We have to go to funeral homes and say, look, I don't want embalming. I don't want an invasive toxic procedure on my loved one's body, but I want people to be able to view, will you work with me? Will you do something, you know, that I want? Okay. That, that's a different way. Of Everybody goes there and thinks, oh, well, I'll have to do whatever it is they've got. Right. What am I
0: allowed to get? Yeah.
1: What am I allowed to do? Right. And you go to yeah. your cemetery and they say, well, you have to have a vault and you go, okay. And you right. say, yeah, no $300. one questions that. It's the status
0: quo. Yeah. Well, that's
1: what's so nuts, right? And that we're yeah. all sitting here expecting because they've all become the experts that- They're the ones, right. They're the professionals, the whole thing. Yeah. And and nobody looks at it and goes, wait a minute. What makes a funeral director a a professional? You know what it is? They go to school for a year and learn how to embalm a body. The thing we don't want to do anymore. Yeah. That's the only thing they can do that you and I can't do ourselves. We can take care of everything else ourselves. Right.
0: So So I just, Yeah. I feel like the the consumer is so lost in all of this passive, like they don't know where to even start. Like this is such a
1: misplaced trust. Yeah. And what we have to do, I think is figure out ways to have people trust themselves. People know, you know, when, when, when you say, oh, you know, you can keep your loved one home for a few more hours till so-and-so gets here. Oh, and you can also, you know, open up a window and cool down the body. And then you could think about doing this tomorrow after you've got the paperwork done and they just, you know, you take them step-by-step through the whole thing. And all of a sudden they're just going, God, I I just didn't know I could do any of this myself. Right. Right. And, And then their next question is, can I do it? Can I, do I have the actual wherewithal to do it? And that's where doulas and after death care educators come in to say, You absolutely can. Our job is to instill confidence in people that they can trust themselves to do this. They really can. It's been done and it is done all around the world. We're the only ones who do it this way.
0: I know. Um, And I I just feel like it's like they may feel still powerless, institutionalized thing. Yes. Um, and,
1: and that's where we have can to be, be overwhelming, be savvy, right? It, we yeah. can be very overwhelming. And, and it certainly is. If you expect to go to, to a funeral home and deal with that, you feel cut out of it. You, you hand over all your power, you hand over yeah. custody and control. And we don't have to, there's also an in-between and what we're trying to do. And you were talking about this earlier, getting the, the funeral directors, the mortuary schools, to teach that there are other options. Oh, that's well, great. And to figure out how to dovetail with because that. I, yeah.
0: It shouldn't, is, it shouldn't be all on experience. the consumer who just doesn't know that, Right, you know, that's, that's, that's really that's hard. I work,
1: I work both, both ends of this, you know, I try to mm-hmm. work with mortuary schools and, and, um, and awesome. teach the new ones coming in that families want different options and that they don't lose face and they don't even have to lose money but they have to be more responsive to what people are wanting right now. Right. And no, they might not be able to deliver the Green Burial Cemetery, that's a whole other area that we have to be more proactive about, but they can be a whole lot more open and uh, and, and helpful. And changing that institutional, it honestly, their, their reputation is what they really need to be doing. Now, some of them are, are right. digging in and saying, no, everything we do is just the right way. It's perfect. Um, well, you know, they're the dinosaur. I love that,
0: digging in, <laughs>
1: Yeah, they, all they, the euphemisms around. Yep, but they, <laughs> I, I think, think that that's, that is a, I think there are a lot of analogies between the birth experience and the death experience, but I think in the, in the, in the after-death experience, we have as consumers and as the next of kin who's in charge, automatically in charge of the, what's going to happen to their loved one, We have a lot more power than we're exercising. And I want to see people doing that and then taking it on. And and when they do it and they do it again in community, elbow to elbow, um, then this is it changes everyone's experience. That's what we're trying to do is change people's experience so that there is meaning in it. Yeah. There's, you know, it's the meaning making that you're talking about and, and yeah. we do make meaning. Yeah. When, my, when my mom died. One of, the, one of the things that a lot of people in this work do, there's a lot of altar talk and so on. I'm not big on all that kind of thing, but I did realize when, when, uh, when, after she died, I had her set up on the massage table shrouded. And at the bottom of the table, I had a a, a bookcase with some romance novels, her knitting needles, and a great big bucket of um, uh, M&M Peanuts, which was her favorite candy. And <laughs> I love everybody who walked in, you know, took a look at that and and went uh, and just went, oh my gosh, it really is mom. It really is her. Aww. So, you know, it, it made meaning out of that, that moment, so.
0: So I'm interested to know how you think um, the funeral world got affected by the pandemic.
1: Some funeral directors did pivot very nicely and they created things like van viewings where people could come by and see their loved one in the, in a casket, in the van, they'd open up the door and
0: like the drive by graduation ceremonies
1: (laughs) pretty much. Yeah. So they did do that. And then they created, you know, we, we sort of moved the services onto, um, you know, what we call them zoomeralls now. Um, oh, I, I love I it It's been, it been it, and the word I use for this is intimate. I most people mm-hmm. were fearful if we aren't in person it won't be intimate. Well how many funerals have you gone to where you sit in the back of the room, you watch the family file in you file back out, you see the backs of everybody's heads and then you're gone. That's not intimate at all. but seeing people face to face as we all experience
0: this together, that's intimate to me and it's really cool how um, if you were in that big of a group, in person, you wouldn't be able to hear what that person had to say. Um, all you know, people are having conversations um, in a crowded gathering. Whereas, if they're all in one place and they're respectful of the 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 norms of Zoom interaction, where you know one person gets off mute to say something, raises their hand, or whatever that. It's just a wonderful design allowing um, more sharing to take place than then would be able to yes. happen in a crowded, in a very event.
1: democratic way.
0: Exactly. So, yeah.
1: You know, it, yeah. Um, because, you know, th- those, those of us who do have issues around being heard find zoom very, very helpful. We yes. do this voice, right? Yes.
0: You know. Oh yeah. Speaking of, yes. We, the, yeah. we meant to wrap back around to that. Um We were talking about communication <laughs> when we yeah. first started, right before we started recording. And so, yeah, that's definitely, Speaks to that, um, you know, those of us with throat or voice. Um, yeah, I'm just extremely quiet and get worn out really easily. So,
1: right. Well, that is an interesting piece around all of the funeral stuff too. The introvert extrovert. Um, uh-huh. is, you know uh-huh. what fills us up and what what depletes us. Right. And, um, that definitely is part of the part of the equation when we t- think about the ways that we're going to um, process a death in the family or in the community. So, yeah, there's a, there's a lot around all of this. We just need more people to be aware of it
0: and more and more participatory. Yeah. So, and, uh, I believe we can participate from home online. However we, you know, come as you are. It's, it's great when you can do it (laughs) virtually. So, yeah, I guess my only question is, um, I didn't know it existed and I'm really excited to see, um, hospice offered virtually because as my social work professor explained to me who would be my um, supervisor in this he's like yeah so nurses have to be there the chaplain uh, but a social worker does not you can handle a lot of things um, from the virtual all right lee so i have to ask you have you ever experienced Anything unexplained, like paranormal. Uh. Uh,
1: One thing that happened, my father was a painter when Mm. he had after he retired, he he started doing a lot of painting. So he had many, many, many canvases that were in the upstairs um bedroom that some were just awful. My mother wouldn't have them around. She didn't (laughs) like them. Um, and he did a whole series of of Civil War uh generals for some reason. He was he was a I mean, I'm I'm named after Robert E. Lee. I'm I was born on oh, a death date. So <laughs> yeah, it's a weird thing to be carrying right about now. Um, but but he was very interested in, in the Civil War, so he, he painted all of these things. Well, um, in the days after he died, my mom had my sister and I go up and uh, bring those down, and she wanted to to have those taken somewhere so that those those canvases could be reused by art students and that type of thing so we were going back and forth to do this and the the kitchen stove was right beside the door to the upstairs so the old Vermont house yeah and uh, at one point I came down through and realized looked over and realized that the big burner that was closest to us was bright orange oh my gosh burner was was all on well we hadn't used the stove um, that morning or the night before and I stood there with my mom and my sister trying to make it turn on without pushing it in really hard and making a a click turn and we couldn't do it we couldn't accidentally get it to turn on wow so we basically kept, just walked by it and said okay dad we know you're angry
0: <laughs> about your painting oh my gosh yeah <laughs> That and that is it, funny
1: and meaningful. And to my mom too. Right after that. Yeah. Um,
0: and uh, and and she is not. A and it would who just would have
1: agreed that that was a thing
0: until it, right. she experienced it. yeah Yeah. That's so interesting. Yeah,
1: and we uh, we also my mom died here in my home uh, mm-hmm. a few years ago in my sunroom, and she was her her avatar was a uh, red cardinal. They'd followed Aww. her from from home to home. They had seemed to go to everywhere that she went, and I've been living here in this house for over twenty five years and never seen one. And uh, after she, a couple of days after she died, they arrived and they haven't left. Um, yeah. So it's. I think that there are things that we can't explain that sound coincidental. That, um, but but when there's an attachment to the mm-hmm. dead in this way, or in, not even an attachment so much, but there's a, a bond there's a bond there's an understanding because you know my my dad and i had had a very close understanding of how things work um he was a systems guy too and so (laughs) we, we would bond over that um and and uh and my mom also my mom just had certain things that were really important to her and i got
0: it